Welcome to the Entrepreneur's MBA, bringing you lessons from real-life entrepreneurs they don't teach in business school. Here's your host, business coach and marketing strategist, Adam Kipnis. Hey, everyone. Uh, welcome to today's episode. Super psyched for my guest today. It's uh, going to be a very different take on uh, entrepreneurship and the path. We've, we've talked with a lot of people that, uh, that are starting out. We've got somebody today that's got a long corporate career and used that to springboard into his entrepreneurial business and the people that he helps. So I'm really excited for that conversation. As always, our show is sponsored in part by powertexting.com. Powertexting.com is a great way to stay in touch with prospects and clients through text versus email, better open rates, better response time, uh, a great opportunity for you to stay in touch with your folks and get your message out. And powertexting.com gives a free vacation to one lucky listener of every show. And today, since we will be talking to my guest in Australia, there are vacation spots, not only in the US, but also in Bali and um, other places closer to, to you, for those of you listening. So that'll be pretty cool. As you know, my focus has always been client attraction. I help people get more clients without spending a ton of money on marketing or advertising. So I recommend if that's your need, download my book at freebookfromadam.com. It's eight steps to get more clients without spending a ton of money on marketing or advertising. So definitely get that to help you drive clients and more revenue to your business. So now I'd like to spend some time introducing my guest. He's a former senior executive for Coca-Cola, actually my second Coca-Cola executive that I've had on the show. And now he works with entrepreneurs and past employees specifically who have become entrepreneurs is really his focus. He's also dealt with some other challenges that he's overcome in his entrepreneurial journey. And it's a big part of the story that we'll definitely get from him. I'd like to introduce Paul Higgins live from Sydney, Australia. Hey, Paul, how are you? And I appreciate you coming. Great, Adam. Uh, great to be here. I'm looking forward to this conversation because of your corporate background, it probably changed the way that you look at not only entrepreneurialism, but running your own business. What got you started? What made you make the move from a lucrative corporate career to starting your own business? Yeah, look, um, you know, I had a, an amazing career at Coca-Cola and uh, every two years I basically got a new opportunity and I was very much an entrepreneur. So they, you know, if they had something that they were really struggling with, within a, a local market that was working in other markets, they'd give it to me. So, um, you know, I set up a, juice, a whole juice division from scratch. I set up a, um, a hotels, restaurants division. I set up a whole licensed division. So I was always, you know, basically the entrepreneur, but I, I, I had an itch to go out and, and do my own business. But uh, the opportunities were that great. The education was great. Um, you know, the money was good. Uh, I, I decided to, to stay. And then um, I've got an inherited condition, it's called polycystic kidney disease. And in short, you know, you just have kidney failure. So in about 2011 or 2010, the, uh, the start of 2011, my specialist said, look, I reckon we'll give you about two years. So continue to fly around the world, work the hours you are, you know, the, the high pressure job in corporate, we'll give you about two hours, two years and you'll have kidney failure. 
So I didn't really take that news that well. So I thought, I said to her, what's the alternative? She goes, well, change your lifestyle, change what you're doing and you know, maybe you can get a bit longer. So uh, in short, that's what I did. So I left in 2011 to really preserve my health. And you know, I lasted eight years and I've just had a kidney transplant three weeks ago and everything's great. So um, so far, so good. Well, fantastic news on that. And three weeks from kidney transplant to uh, my podcast is probably the fastest that, that I've seen. How did you, that affect your business? I think that's obviously a really important question. Well, you know, what I say to people is set your lifestyle first. So I'd really define what my lifestyle needed to be. So I needed to be able to work from a hospital bed. You know, it was that simple. So I basically said, that's the parameters. This is where I want to live. This is hours I want to work. This is the type of work I want to do. And most importantly, I can do it from anywhere. And then I basically created my business. So to be honest, my business not changed a beat through this whole thing. So um, I might have not invested as much in marketing and branding because, you know, I wasn't quite sure how it was going to play out. But as far as, you know, I've got a brilliant team in the Philippines. They support me. I've got great experts around the world that support me. And, um, you know, like literally five hours after having a kidney transplant, I was back at work on my laptop because I was bored in hospital and, you know, helping clients and, uh, yeah, and doing what I love to do. So, um, yeah, I definitely, for me, I didn't have a choice. I had to set it up that way. But what I do is help a lot of people these days to set it up regardless of if they got a chronic disease or not. That's fantastic. First of all, congratulations on on the transplant going well and, and being back and, and healthier. Hopefully that leads to really good health in the long term. And the, the, the way that you set up your business that it can be done from anywhere, um, including your hospital bed. So what, in your corporate background and traveling and working in multiple countries, is that something that was a a byproduct of that being able to have this lifestyle type work or was it something that you created because of all the travel that you did? Yeah, look, it's a really good question. I think the Coke company was always a global company. So they had a motto of think global, act local. So, you know, if we had a problem we needed to solve, we tap into an expert around the world, we tap into people around the world. It was an, an amazing system, you know, 126 years old, hugely profitable, you know, it was very, very well run. So I think, that was sort of the the um, nurture component. So that was always there. So it's always think global. You know, don't don't think you just got to fly and meet someone in person. You know, have video conferences, etc. So I was I was used to that. But the other one, which is the nature part, is that I'm a, you know I love my tech. I'm a tech evangelist, and I'm always looking at ways to use technology. So as a quick example, you know, back in 1994, you know, started as a, a rep at Coke. And uh, mobile phones came on the market and Coke said, look, we can't afford to give everyone one. So you're not getting one. I said, okay, cool. So I went and bought my own and I said to my customers, look, you call me when the stock arrives and I'll get there quicker. I'll fill it up. It might cost you 80 cents in a phone call, but what it's going to do is make you more money because, you know, when the stock's presentable, you'll sell more. And my sales results went through the roof. I've, you know, got Top Gun Award, they called it back then. You know, two quarters in a row and people thought I was, you know, cheating the system. I was rigging the numbers, but I just use technology in a smart way. And I suppose that's the exact same thing that I do today to, to be able to tap into people around the world. And, you know, today I'm in, you know, Melbourne, Australia, uh, sitting in my office and uh, I'll talk to people all over the world and, you know, it's, it's great. 
That's fantastic. And it leads me to another question because technology is so important in today's day and age, but many entrepreneurs shy away from folks outside of their local area. Maybe they think they can't service them as well. Maybe they think their, their prospects and clients want them to be local. How do you overcome that in your conversations with prospects, especially being um, remote or a remote business coach as you do? Yeah, look, I think it's, um, you know, it's without being arrogant, it's like the way I work. And, you know, once people know that because of my health and, you know, I've got to be in hospital still, to, you know, every day for blood tests in the morning. So, you know, and I've got, a, I've got antisuppressants, which I can't basically see people because, you know, if I pick up something, I'm straight back into hospital. So I think once I explain that to people, they go like, okay, I, I get it. But I also, you know, each time someone says, no, look, I've got to see people in, in face-to-face and, you know, this is my model and, you know, I just sort of slowly chip away at it and all of a sudden they release that and they realise that, you know, they don't have to be face-to-face. They don't have to only deal with local people. It's never a better time to use technology to have your expertise to a very specific market across the globe. And I think once people get a taste of that, then they really love it. And to be honest, if they, they're not and they want to stay local, that's cool. I'll point them to someone else that can uh, help them. No, it's, it's a great way to think about it. And, and if I heard you correctly, it's typically it might be on the business owner who thinks that they need to be face-to-face. The minority are the clients that think they need face-to-face. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, um, I think it's, yeah, it's mainly their mindset that you know, I have to do it this way because I've always done it that way. And like, I'm like, you know, do, do your meetings go longer? You know, is there more travel time? Do you tend to chit chat more and actually not actually treat it in a structured sales call way? You know, all, all these things, you know, do you happen not to follow up as much as you should because you're always taking longer in the calls? And when you sort of point out some of the, the, the cons of meeting face-to-face all the time, then they start to realise, oh, okay. And especially we, you know, we always recommend that, our mastermind members have a virtual assistant. We always say a computer, a phone, and a virtual assistant, the three essentials. And once they start tapping into a virtual assistant to do the sales follow-up and do a lot of the sales process, then they really start to realize, well, I can, I can still be video face-to-face and I can still have a great experience. I can still pick up the nuances of all the you know, body language, et cetera, but I don't have to leave the comfort of my home. That's great. And I hope everyone listening picked up on something that he said early. And this is something that I focus on is when you have a video call or or just a phone call versus a face-to-face meeting, it saves you about an hour a day because there's the travel time to get there, the prep time to do it when someone's coming to your office. And, um, you know, people find themselves straightening up and that takes time. There's a lot of things that go into a face-to-face meeting that take away from what you should be doing in business rather than a video or a phone call. So I love that. And I love that you are able to integrate it into your business and into your clients' businesses. So I want to talk to you a little bit about what you do in terms of working with former employees and helping them build lifestyle businesses. And we'll get to the lifestyle part in a second, but what is it about former employees that can make a successful entrepreneur? Yeah, so uh, off time, you know, my podcast is called Corporate Escapees. And, you know, if I think about it, that's, that's just my journey. So, you know, I left in 2011. I did a series of 
of businesses and up to about 2016 was sort of treading, treading, I was going okay, but not great. I sort of promised my wife a, a monthly income and I wasn't doing that. And it was difficult. Then in 2016, I joined a mastermind completely. Um, I had to, because my health divest my businesses overseas. I had an outsourcing business and I had a tech business. Uh, couldn't travel, divested those and really, you know, narrowed down to what, what do I love doing best? And that was, you know, mentoring, people and I thought well what do I know best of and when I look back I thought well this whole journey of all the things that I would wish now that I had been told when I left corporate versus what I know now why don't I just help people with that because you know for me five years it took to really get comfortable you know if I could get someone there in 12 months that'd be great and avoid all those difficult conversations with their their wife their friends their family you know all of the mental stress that comes with running your own business if i can help people avoid that and get to their ideal lifestyle that's funded quicker well then that would make me a very happy man so that's why i basically you know chose that because i know i've done it i've become successful so therefore i'm confident to help others love it that's awesome and so what's one or two things that that are the biggest sticking points in your corporate to entrepreneur clients what what hangs them up um leaving the, the, the nest, so to speak, of the corporate world? Yeah, look, I think, um, I think the first thing that hangs people up is just what am I going to do, you know? Like, so I know a lot of people sit there really unhappy and, you know, the biggest thing is what am I going to do? And I did that for about five years, you know? Each year I'd go on a, a trip with my mates and I'd say, I will not be in corporate this time next year and I was and it was always about what I do so I think really defining what you're passionate about what there's a a demand for and also acknowledge that it's going to pivot a bit so what I started was you know coaching corporate people now I'm mentors you know um, solopreneurs so it it did pivot um, but I think the first thing is you know just make make a leap and do it do it at night so do all your research etc at night and why you've got your day job and just back off on your day job. You don't have to work as hard. And, you know, yes, I know for most um, high performers, that's really difficult to do. I know for me it was to sort of not be at my peak within work, but I did back off a little to basically set up the, the, um, the grounds. And I had three months before I, I left corporate. So I used that three months. I worked, you know, really long hours, but when I hit the ground, I hit the ground are fairly strong. So that'd be the first thing that I'd, I'd uh, advise. Fantastic. And, and on the research part, um, most entrepreneurs either have an idea and, and I'm talking about entrepreneurs later in life. Um, there are a lot of entrepreneurs obviously that, that are, you know, come out of the crib and are, are selling gum to the, the nurse and selling gum to their, their, their fellow classmates at school. But those that do it later in life, usually it's filling a void of some kind, whether it's they find a product or service that fills a void or they're filling a void within themselves. How do people do research on a topic that's interesting? How do you guide them for the clients that you work with? Yeah, well, look, we, um, we've got a really good way of identifying your ideal client. So I think, you know, to be more niched is best. So we have a really good format for that. So once you really identify your audience, then it's actually asking them questions around their pain points. And, and sometimes you'll have a hypothesis and you're going to prove or disprove that hypothesis. So, you know, the, the biggest mistake I see corporate escapees make is 
you know, having their own idea and then going and selling it to the, to the market. So they do all the website, they do everything, and then they go to the market and there's crickets. So, you know, what we do is take a minimal viable product, we go out and do the research, get them to ask the right questions in the right way, and then they've already got people putting their credit card details down on a waiting list, and then you know that, yes, there is actually an offer that's going to convert, and then you launch it. So it's nearly the inverse of what most people do. It brings up an interesting question because I'm sure you've met with prospects and you probably have clients that are hearing those crickets you just talked about that it's not resonating. How do you work with them because they're, they put their heart and soul and money into this wonderful website, but they, they're not getting the clients. How can you help them pivot or tweak what they're doing in order to make that product viable for the marketplace? Yeah, so basically just go back through that process. So get them to really identify their ideal client. What I say is, you know, don't try to fill a football stadium. And most people sort of try to fit a country as to who they serve. I'm like, not a football stadium, it's a row, 20-seat row. Who are the 20 people that are going to sit on those chairs? If you can be very specific and and articulate that, you're on a winner. So do that first, then ask the questions. And look, sometimes it's only a small pivot and sometimes it's a pivot in the copy more than anything that's not resonating. And sometimes it's a bigger pill they've got to swallow. And I'm always the view of, you know, I think it was um, Jim Collins, good to great, be brutally honest about today and then have a clear vision for the future. So sometimes it's hard when people says that your baby's ugly, but sometimes you just need that advice. And that's why I think, you know, getting a coach or or belonging to a mastermind is so important because often you don't see what other people see um, that's quite obvious. We're talking to Paul Higgins today about how to escape the corporate life and start your own business and how to be able to pivot once you're there. As I mentioned earlier, we're sponsored by powertexting.com and they do give a free trip to one person that listens to this podcast and sometimes two if we get enough entries. So if you're interested in winning that free trip, um, go to podcasttrip.com and enter your information and we will pick a lucky winner. So Paul, when, you, when you're looking at your clients and your prospects, and, and you mentioned ideal client, and that's such an important thing, how did you identify your ideal client and who did that person turn out to be besides just corporate escapees? Yeah, so... Uh, you know, I went through the same exercise and I realized that I was, you know, especially when you're trying to get cash at the start, anyone that basically walks past your door is a client and, you know, then you don't get the right people and therefore you don't get the right success and then you don't have the social proof to get more. So it sort of becomes a bit of a compounding and also referrals. I think unless you can be very specific, people aren't going to refer you because they don't really know what you do. So, you know, I, I basically realized that, you know, people like me, that's, that's who I need because they've been under uh, served in the market. There was no one really focusing on corporate escapees. So that was the first thing. And then I said, okay, well, what type of corporate escapees? And for me, it was then down into coaches and consultants. So getting really specific about that. And then, you know, what, what sort of uh, revenue uh, markers are there? So, you know, for me, ideally, you know, my top end clients are earning a million dollars a year. But, you know, most of my clients are at the other end of the bell curve and they're sort of like 10000 a month and they want to get to twenty. And, you know, being very specific like that, I think then it makes it very easy 
and I'm sure we'll talk about you know client attraction through LinkedIn, etc. You can be very specific in who you help, and I think the quicker you get to that, you get more social proof, and then that snowball goes. No, I agree a hundred percent, and I'm a big believer that you don't pick your niche; your niche picks you. And sometimes you have to bring on some clients, and then then you see a trend, and and then you go and chase that trend. When when you got started, you, you saw the trend, you saw who your client was, and you knew that you could serve them and get great results. What was your big next step in order to really ramp up the business or, or go into that sort of hockey stick mode in your business? Yeah, well, the first thing is, you know, what was my methodology? So how, how did I, the success that I'd had, how do I make it easy for other people to, to do that? And what I did was come out with five rapid growth, growth drivers. So I'll just quickly go through them. We've talked about them a little, but uh, the first one is uh, personal productivity. And, you know, time is your most critical asset. We talked about it at the top of the interview. And, you know, really what you want to do is spend about 15 hours a week on sales. That's the only way you're going to double your business. And most people spend two to three. So it's like, well, how do I get more time? And that's through... You know, having the right mindset, having the right uh, technology and also having a VA. So we go through that. Second, ideal client that we've talked about. Third is the right business model. So I see a lot of people swapping time for dollars. You know, they have, um, you know, they get paid or they get paid late. There's a whole lot of things that you can fix around your business model to have less clients but make more money. And the biggest thing there is around your pricing. I think most uh, experts undervalue themselves and that's uh, both a combination of a mindset and also the right strategy. Uh, fourth is sales focus and I know we'll go into that more around client attraction and the fifth is a high performing team. So once you've got the demand up, what you don't want to be doing is wearing every hat in your business which often happens for solopreneurs. So how do you bring in teams and we've got 100 plus vetted experts around the world. So when someone says, I need a web developer, I need a design person, I need a bookkeeper, I need whatever, we go, look, here's three people that we've used in our community. They deliver great results. We've got an NPS score that backs that up. Just go and use them. So that creates, um, you know, one of the biggest things that I found when I left Coke was just people burnt me. I could not believe it because Coke, you always had the best supplies. You never got burnt. Whereas in small business, I had so many people promise me the world and just disappear or not deliver. One guy, 15 grand for an online course and I never saw it. That was basically my wage for the year. So, um, you know, I really help people avoid that by getting the right contractors. And, you know, I'm a big believer in not having any direct employees. You know, all my, I've got direct employees, but they're in the Philippines, but I've got no one actually physically in Australia that work for me. I just make sure that when I've got a skill gap that I need filled, I'm just getting someone in just for that fill, uh, gap rather than having someone full time and always worrying about, well, how am I going to actually fill their work? Interesting. And so uh, Paul dropped an NPS score in there. That's net promoter score. Um, you can read about it or you can ask either of us about it. It's a great way to find how your clients think about you. But I want to ask another question about um, having remote employees or, or virtual assistants. There are people that are listening whose brains probably turned off when you said, uh, I've got a team in the Philippines, because that's so far beyond what they're, they think they can do or, or what seems feasible, especially here from the States. Tell us a little bit about how that works, and not that it's easy, but it's probably simple in order to make that work. Tell us about that. 
Yeah, look, and I think it's a journey, right? So if I look, I always had executive assistants at Coke. I actually had it written in my contract. So, you know, I always use them as a key member to, you know, give me what's most important, which is my time. So always have one then. So what I did was started local. So there was someone just around the corner. I started with them. They weren't in my office, but I started with them and sort of learned a little bit there. Then I went to uh, an agency model where I actually set up my own uh, agency. So I used an agency and I set up my own team in the Philippines. So that grew to about 15. And then the third thing now is direct. So I actually employ people direct because I don't need the training, the guidance, because I've been doing it for, you know, uh, five plus years now. Um, well, actually, all in total, I've been doing it for uh, eight years now. So I think it is a journey and it just there's, it's wherever you want to feel most comfortable departing. So going straight to the Philippines might not be right for you. Completely understand. Start local. There's a lot of brilliant companies in the US that provide really good local people. So, you know, start there. And then, you know, the advantage of the Philippines is uh, mainly the, the cost and the quality. I, I, the quantity, I should say, there's, you know, so many people uh, that you can quickly get, whereas I find, you know, some local markets, it's harder to get the right people. But go on that journey. And the most important thing I always say to everyone is actually get trained yourself on how to use a VA because I often find the VA is not the issue when things don't work. It's actually the the entrepreneur. And the entrepreneurs never had a VA, never had an executive assistant, and they just don't know what to do. And it's like anything. If you've never been trained, it's hard to learn it yourself. So we do a lot of uh, training for entrepreneurs. And, um, you know, given the fact that I run my own VA business for, for five years, I know this back to front and we just help people make sure that it works straight away. So that's a great way of de-risking your move into whatever option you take. And you just struck like some sort of nerve in my past right there where I just like shuddered a little bit because I remember I needed a VA and I was like, oh, I'll get a VA and they'll do all my stuff. And then I didn't give them anything because I just couldn't give them up and I didn't know what to give up. <laughs> and uh, and um, so it's like, it's still a pain point, even though I do it today. And I've, I've learned now that um, 80% of what co comes across my desk is typically better done by somebody else. And if I focus on the 20%, that's where um, the clients get the most benefit and, and my business gets the most benefit in terms of revenue and, and future referrals. So if you're out there and you're listening and that seems scary or you've never delegated, it takes some time. I'm not going to lie, but once you do it and you learn how to do it well, it can transform your business overnight. We're talking to Paul Higgins on the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. Paul, and, and you can reach Paul at buildlivegive.com, I believe is the website, buildlivegive.com. There's a story there. Tell us. Yeah, so uh, I had, um, I've actually changed company names too often, to be honest. I've had about five different company names. So I sort of pivoted, I changed my name. And I, I said, look, I'm going to find a name that I'm never going to change because uh, it's, you know, so taxing on changing your brand name. So uh, I just heard on a podcast, I'm a prolific podcast listener, and someone said, oh, you know, uh, build, live, give. You know, I, I build a great business, I live a great life, and I give back. And I'm like, that's me. That's me. That's exactly what I do. So um, quickly went on, buildlivegive.com, available, done. So uh, there it is, and I will never change <laughs> that uh, URL while I've uh, got this company.
That, that's great. And, and giving back is so important. We all do it in different ways. Sometimes it's to our families. Sometimes it's to charities. Sometimes it's to even neighbors and friends. Uh, but giving back is such a big part of it. And honestly, when you, when you do it, it seems to create more time uh, because of the, the excitement it builds within you. Uh, I, I want to focus now, as, as you mentioned a couple times, my world is client attraction. And most entrepreneurs, especially corporate escapees, the hardest thing to do is to get clients. Maybe you get a few at the beginning and you get on a roll and then you get stuck. What have you found? Let's start with your, with your clients. What have you found with your clients has been a go-to area of success for them to get clients as they start to get up and running? Yeah, look, I think the most obvious one is do a brilliant job for your current clients. So I think sometimes people chase new clients so much that they don't actually deliver and get a result for their current client. So, you know, my number one is, you know, absolutely get a brilliant result for your client, get them to give you a video testimonial, get them to give you a LinkedIn recommendation and also ask them if they know one or two people that are just like them or were like them, that this would be benefit to them and basically do that. So I think that's, that's number one because, you know, roughly 80% of most uh, people's um, leads come through referrals. And, you know, I don't, I think you should do more things and I'll talk about that in a moment, but I think the number one is, yeah, do a great job, ask for referrals. And what about when, when people say, but Paul, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to be intrusive. I, I don't know that they're going to give me one. I don't know what they're going to say. How do you help them overcome just that internal fear? Albeit generally wrong in most cases, but how, how do you help them overcome that fear? Yeah, look, and, and I think it is, you know, it's a bit like that um, having to have face-to-face meetings. I think you just give them some examples. So I think the more examples you can give them, then that makes them feel more comfortable. So I just give specific examples where, you know, this is what other clients have done. They've delivered a great result. This is the way they've worded it. And this is the outcome that they've got. And I think, you know, most, you know, most of my corporate escapees are highly intelligent people. You know, once they see that in black and white, they're like, okay, all right, I just got to get over myself. And I'm like, yep, you just got to get over yourselves and do it. And you know what? Do it. And if it doesn't work and you don't want to do it again, that's cool. But whatever you do in your own business, you can't not do things. You've got to take action. And I'm a firm believer in, you know, perfect, uh, progress over perfection. And I think for a lot of our people that have left corporate or, you know, left jobs and they start their own business, that that corporate mentality of being perfect, like Coke, you know, you had to be perfect all the time. I think um, it takes a little bit of time to, to decouple from that. That's, that's so true. And, and I'll just add to that on, on asking for referrals and, and I, I coach on introductions and joint ventures that we can dig into also, but whatever you're thinking, the reason they're not going to give you a referral, it's you and it's not them. Most people are happy to do it and, and willing to do it, but sometimes they just don't know that that's how you grow or that you're even open to referrals. Um, so just keep that in mind that referrals are a fantastic source and most people would love to provide them. 
So talking about your business specifically, and you know your client base, you know your niche, you know who comes to you, you're getting referrals, but you're still doing marketing. What are you doing and, and how are you positioning yourself? Yeah, so um, two, key, two key things and then uh, there'll be a third soon. So first one is uh, LinkedIn. Uh, you know, there's whatever, 500 million people on LinkedIn, Sales Navigator, you can get absolutely specific. So I can know exactly what company they worked for, were they corporate, how long they've been in their own business. I can read their posts, get to see what they're, you know, putting out in the world and get a really good understanding of them. I can go to their Facebook as well, have a look at that. So you can get incredible research to make sure that, the, the you know, they are the ideal client for you. So there's that. And then we have a very counterintuitive way of using LinkedIn. So I know a lot of people do direct outreach. Um, we take a, a completely different approach. So we look to add value first and really have a great way of getting people to, to, um, to reach back out to us. So that's working hugely successfully. And, you know, I train people on, on that methodology. So uh, LinkedIn is definitely a key thing. If you're a B2B, uh, you're in services, I think there's no better place to play than LinkedIn. And I hope everyone listening just caught what he said there because it was hugely powerful. And I know all of you listening, if you're on LinkedIn, you get several, if not hundreds of direct messages from people that are saying, hey, want to buy my crap or, or whatever it is that they say. Hopefully they use a little bit cleaner language and, and make it softer than that. But Paul just mentioned, look at what they're posting and what they're doing and then find a way to reach out to him, whether it's uh, his, his model, and, and obviously that's a paid service that I'm sure is hugely valuable, and I, I recommend you all find out more about that by reaching out to Paul directly. But also, if you know what it is they're doing and saying and want is better than just a direct message that's blind, because those get very, very few responses. Yeah. So I appreciate you bringing that up, and, and sorry to sort of step on your toes on, on your answer there. No, um, no, no, that's great. It's a great build, great build, Adam. And, and I think if you take one thing from this LinkedIn part is endorsements, skills and endorsements. So, you know, it's amazing how thankful people are when you endorse their skills. And, you know, isn't that a great way that you endorse them? They come back and say, thanks a lot. And then you say, hey, look, love to know what you're up to at the moment. Would you be open to a 15-minute call? And isn't that such a nicer way than sending them a, a sort of uh, hit in the dark, uh, cold outreach where you don't really know what they're doing. You've never done anything for them and you're asking them, you know, to, to buy the kitchen sink. So little things like that is, is an example of just how you can better use LinkedIn. I absolutely love that. That's such a powerful, powerful thought process for, for everything. It's, it's not just LinkedIn, but it's, it's face-to-face -face networking. It's, um, even introductions when people give you a referral, many of us take that referral and think that it's a sale versus building that relationship. When you get referrals, how do you, how do you take them from referral to close versus the assumption that this person's going to become a client because someone told them to call you? Yeah. So, you know, um, for me, sales is all about finding out where someone is find out where they want to be and then work out what is getting in their way. 
So, you know, I do take like a doctor's approach to it. So I don't assume anything. I have some really good scripted questions that we train people on. And I just really uncover exactly where they're at and not just where they're at business-wise, but personal as well. Because, you know, it's sort of like the, the iceberg. There's more to it than anyone ever first realizes. And you've got to build that trust to get that. But you get that, you work out what they really want to do. So, you know, people always say, I want to, um, make more money it's like no that just fuels something else so what what is it you want to fuel do you want to travel the world do you want to buy a house for your kids you know what is it that you're going to do with that money that is so important so really find that out and then find out what are the things that are getting in the road now so they'll know some things and then you as a mentor can help them uncover some of the things that they may not be aware of because you've you know seen this so often you know there's um not obvious patterns, but there's definitely patterns on things that people miss. And, you know, that's why I've created the five drivers and the IP behind that to do it. Yep. Diagnose, don't prescribe, right? You don't go to a doctor to get a drug. You get a, go to a doctor to get a diagnosis to know what to prescribe. And that's no different for your business, my business, or for every listener's business out there. Paul, I really appreciate it. And before we wrap up, in, uh, in the notes that you sent me, you said you can save us two hours a day through three practical tips. I think this is a great way to wrap up this conversation because we all want two hours back. Yeah, so it's basically three key things and they're obvious things, but the you know implementing is where the rubber hits the road. But the first one is you. So I spoke about it before. How do you get the mindset? How do you get the technology right so that you can save time? The second is the team. So how do you get the VA? How do you get other experts to do the stuff that, you know, that you can do but you shouldn't do so that you can only focus on the stuff that you explicitly can do and need to do? And then the third one is linked to the first, but it's around the technology stack. So, you know, we've I research every day the best technology to use and uh, we've got um, an awesome stack that, you know, is adaptive. So we don't prescribe only one, but we look at the key categories and it's amazing how much time that can save people. So if people want to find more about that, if it, just go to blgdownload.com and they can get a PDF of that. Love it. Re really appreciate the conversation. So many good nuggets from your experience, um, working with clients, your corporate transition, and just really actionable stuff. And I really appreciate you being here. And thanks to everyone who's listening on this international version of the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. Thanks, Paul. And thanks, everyone, for being here. Yeah, thanks, Adam. It was great. Appreciate it. You've been listening to the Entrepreneur's MBA. Download Adam's free book, How to Make More Money in Your Business, at www.freebookfromadam.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>